Okay, well, good evening. Broadcasting live from Stony Creek, Ontario, August 3rd. So today we have a quote actually from commentary. Commentary to the Kudaka Pata. Kudakapata is where we find the formula for going to refuge to the Buddha and Dhamma and the Sangha. So for those of you who are familiar with taking refuge, or we'll often either repeat after the monk or say it ourselves, Buddhang Saranangachami, Dhammang Saranangachami, Sanghang Saranangachami, Dutiampi Buddhang Saranangachami, Dutiampi Dhammang Saranangachami, Dutiampi Sanghang Saranangachami, Tatiampi Buddhang Saranangachami, Tatiampi Dhammang Saranangachami, Tatiampi Sanghang Saranangachami, Saranatayang Nititang. It's the first section of the Kudaka. Nikaya, Kudaka Pata of the Kudaka Nikaya. Kudaka means minor, so it's this sort of miscellaneous. There's nothing minor about that passage, but it's small. That's a whole chapter, so just that. And so the commentary is trying to explain to us why. Why would you go to refuge or sarana? Why would you take refuge or why would you reflect upon the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha? Why would you take them as an object of reverence or reflection or protection? And so it offers up these uh, answers that the Buddha gives. Abhayado means he gives abhaya. Abhaya is very simple word. Baya means fear or danger. A means lack of or freedom from, you could say, but it's just an a, it's a negative, so no fear. He gives us non-fear, non-danger. And uh, it, this, this, the other thing this passage does nicely is shows the relationship of the between the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha. We had a big argument in uh, in Florida. I was talking with some uh, Sri Lankan Buddhists and uh, I don't remember how it came up but somebody asked or somehow, or maybe I brought it up thinking, oh this is an interesting point, which one's higher? The Buddha or the Dhamma? Maybe it was from a question from the internet. That's right. It was it was from Stack Exchange, and so I brought it up to these Sri Lankans, and one of them is a scholar, a Buddhist scholar, and he uh, um, he was he's right away the Buddha's higher, Buddha's number one. I think for a Sri Lankan Buddhist to think otherwise is not to be to be asked that question seems ridiculous. I think they're all well, not they're all, but they, 
the most part, Sri Lankan, Sri Lankan people are very, very big on the Buddha. Of course, they're very big on the Dhamma as well, but perhaps not as reverential. So there's a question of who is, who, and we argued and argued and argued. And uh, my argument stemmed from, I said, well, I think the Dhamma is actually probably higher. Or I said, I don't think you can say it. I don't think there's any reason to say it's lower because you have the Dhamma, you have the Buddha uh, paying respect, not not doing Anjali. That's what I thought at first. I claimed that he'd actually held his hands up, but I don't think that's the case. It just says that he uh, paid respect. And we had an argument, oh, what does that mean to pay respect? Can you pay respect to someone who's lesser than you? And he said, well, the Buddha comes first. But why I bring this up, it's not probably all that interesting to hear about how we argue about these things, debate these things. But the way it's interesting is because in the end, after all our argument, I said, you know, my, my, my stand at this point, my uh, feeling at this point, is that you can't compare them. It's comparing apples and oranges. Uh, or not even apples and oranges. It's comparing very, ca- things that are categorically different. The Buddha is categorically different from the Dhamma. You can't compare them, which is higher, because they're not the same thing. Two very different you know, categories of things. And that's what this passage shows nicely. Um, it says, I'm looking at the Pali. Where's the English? Says the Buddha. So the Buddha is the the thing, right? The uh, the Dhamma is the act, or the benefit of that thing. Uh, maybe not thing, but the the noun. The Buddha is the giver, the protector, the consoler, the friend. But the Dhamma can never be a friend, right? You can't say who's a better friend, the Buddha or the Dhamma. This doesn't work that way. You have the friend and the friendliness, or the, the 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 friend who helps you and the help that he gives, he or she gives. That's what this passage says. And giving freedom from fear is interesting. It's because baya doesn't have to mean fear; it can mean danger. So. Um, it's easier to understand it that way because we're talking about the dangers of defilements, the dangers of samsara, the dangers of being born again, the 12, actually 12 dangers in, in, in all. There are the four dangers that everyone has to deal with. If you want to look up on YouTube, I've given a talk uh, specifically on these 12 dangers. It's a very interesting subject worth listening to. But in brief, the four, first four are ordinary dangers of birth, old old age, sickness, and death. We're not, none of us free from, from any of these things. We can be free from birth, not have to be born again. Um, but the rest of them, even an enlightened being has to deal with. But for, for, the, for the rest, for, for anyone who hasn't gotten there, there's still further birth, further old age, further sickness and death. So these are a danger that the Buddha is able to help us free ourselves from. Once we, once we're free from defilement and we're free from 
birth, free from old age, free from sickness, free from death. We don't have to suffer any of these in the future, after this life. The next four are dangerous for people who do evil deeds. So um, there's the... Uh, self-reproach uh, or feeling bad yourself there's other people reproaching you other people thinking you're a bad so you thinking you're a bad person feeling guilty and how could you how could i have done such a thing oh, i'm such an idiot to do all those evil deeds and other people saying how could you do all those things you're such an idiot you did all those evil things and then uh punishment in this life and punishment in the next life being born in a bad place these four only apply to evil the people who engage in evil the four dangers of doing evil deeds then the four dangers for people doing good deeds these are dangers that get in the way of our practice of good deeds they're actually um, relating to the ocean I don't think I can remember remember them. They're they're confusing. Uh, there's the waves, the crocodiles, waves, crocodiles, uh, whirlpools, and sharks. Probably going to get those wrong. Waves are anger, um, and but specifically inability to listen to the teacher. When the teacher tells you, don't do this, you get upset. When you tell you to do this, you get upset. Inability to follow, getting, you know, not being content, not able to stay the course, getting rocked, getting rocked about. These take us off course because we, we, if we can't listen to the teacher, we can't progress. We can't follow their advice. We can't progress. Crocodile is... I've got them mixed up. Anyway, I think crocodile is because it's got a big mouth. So crocodile refers to being lazy, being greedy. Yeah, thinking only about food. Yeah. So thinking only only thinking about luxury, luxury about sensual pleasures. This gets in our way. Uh, the whirlpool. I wanted to say that a shark was the was, was sexual att attraction, but I think it's the whirlpool. Anyway, there's the whirlpool, something that drags you down. Look it up. There's, I did a video on YouTube. Really should remember these things. Anyway, danger. The Buddha frees us from all these dangers. We're able to progress in a good way. We're able to avoid evil. And we're able to free ourselves from samsara. So that's the Buddha. The Dhamma is the actual protection. The Sangha is, you know, we often talk about the Sangha as being those who, who teach like the Buddha, but that's not really what makes them great. Um, it is great that they do that, but our focus is more on the interesting, you know, the important part. Because if the, if the good thing about the Sangha was that they taught, then what, do you, what have you got? You got a teacher? A teaching and a bunch more teachers. If that's the whole of Buddhism, you see, then it's it's 
is meaningless. If all you've got is a bunch of people teaching stuff, then the religion has has become without benefit. So it seems kind of uh, it's surprising, but the more important uh, quality of the Sangha is not that they are able to pass on the Buddha's teaching, it's that they have received the Buddha's teaching, have benefited from the Buddha's teaching, have changed and have um, bettered themselves through the Buddha's teaching. That's the important quality of the Buddha. It's important because it shows that it works. It shows that it is beneficial. If you don't have these people, if you've just got teachers, every religion has such things, right? We all say, oh yes, do this, don't do that. Can you back it up with results? Can you show benefit in the here and now? Or are you just talking about it? A bunch of people passing on like the Brahmins, the Buddha accused them. He said, well, you say all these things, but do any of you know that it's true? Do any of your ancestors know that it's true? You believe this, you believe that. Do you have any proof? Have you, have you proven it to yourself? Have you got any reason whatsoever to believe that? We wouldn't have. If it was just teaching, yes, the Buddha said, do this, don't do that. Pass it on. And then the next person says, yes, yes, don't do this. In the end, you don't even know why you're doing it, which is how they, how, how they found themselves in India. Um, they found that they were just doing rituals. They didn't even know why anymore. Because there was no benefit. Absolutely no benefit to them. No meaningful benefit. So the great thing about the Sangha is that they have benefited, is how they've changed. And that's how we um, that's how we look at ourselves if we're a follower of the Buddha. Not that we understand or can pass on the teachings, but that it's changed us, that they've they benefited us, that we become a better person through them. That we have found the protection from danger. That we have found consolation. Consolation's a bit weird, no? What's the word? No, it's not even consolation. Where is it? I got the wrong. That's the wrong one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Right. Asasaka. Hmm. Comfort. Giver of comfort. Consolation. I wonder how it gets that meaning. Giving comfort, giving relief, providing relief. Relief is maybe the best translation here. Consolation, not so much. It's not like he says, there, there. It's not so bad. That's not what it means. Uh, giving comfort, relief. Relief is probably the best. Going with uh, goes with the theme of the Buddha's teaching. The Buddha provides some relief from the fires of samsara, the fires of defilements. Ragagina, dosagina, mohagina, Aditang. If you read the uh, the Adita Parayaya Sutta, it's a wonderful sutta. If you chant it, it's wonderful. 
Chakung bikave aditang, the eye is on fire. On fire with raga, dosa, moha. Aditang jatiya jarayapi. On fire with birth, old age, sickness, and death. Buddha provides relief from this, relief from the suffering. The Dhamma is the relief. The Sangha is those who have been relieved. The Buddha is like a true friend. The Dhamma is like helpful advice. And the Sangha is like those who have achieved their wishes by heeding that helpful advice. I don't think we have to say like at this point. They actually are. The Buddha is the true friend. The Buddha himself said, I am the true friend. The Dhamma is helpful advice. And the Sangha is truly those who have achieved their wishes. Those who have come to have no more wishes, to want for nothing. It's funny how uh, become want, you want for nothing is interesting because you, it's not that you get everything you want. It's that you're someone who um, has nothing you, that you are left wanting for. But it's because you've given up wanting, not because you've gotten everything you want, which of course is actually impossible. Anyway, so that's the Dhamma for tonight. Here someone found out found it. Whirlpools are the objects of desire. Sharks. Sharks are all the pleasant things. So what are the crocodiles? Are there even crocodiles? There's waves. Yeah, I don't know. Because I used to tell it one way and then I found out that in the texts it was another way and that's why I'm Yeah, whirlpools are the romance because they drag you down. I knew that. That's how I used to tell it. So sharks. Oh no, that's not how I used to tell it. I originally told it because I thought um it was, it was like I it was the opposite gender because they grab you and they don't let go. Crocodiles are indolence, right? Got it. Okay. Crocodiles are indolence. Women or uh, for monks or opposite gender or, or the object of your sexual attachment are is the whirlpool because it drags you down. It's the low base thing. Is uh, matu, uh, no, metuna gama, metuna dhamma. Right? Metuna dhamma is sexual activity, romantic activity. Um, and then the sharks are all the other. Maybe not sharks isn't even the right word. It's I think. Um, the fishes in the sea or something maybe sharks they're the ones that bite at you okay so that's the dhamma and the, the idea was then to open it up to questions over here on meditation.surimangalo.org so I'm not answering questions on YouTube go to meditation.surimangalo.org and welcome to answer Waves are, um, that's what I always got wrong in the, when I first thought of this. The waves are actually, I think according to the texts, are, are considered anger, as I said tonight. Waves are um, the disturbed mind, the mind is that is unable to accept, unable to follow, unable to conform to the teachings. So it's making waves, rocking the boat kind of thing, that's the sense. 
Okay, so we got some questions. How much important is it to have a Sangha? Well, the Buddha said having good friends is the whole, the entirety of the holy life. So you got to take that at least mm, somewhat to heart. Why? Because we we only change based on um, that's not entirely true either. I mean, you can change yourself. You can. It's 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 one of those cases where you can't take it too seriously. What the Buddha said, otherwise you deny the fact that one can become enlightened by themselves. It is possible to become enlightened by oneself. But as a follower, as someone who's not able to do that, not able to become enlightened by themselves, it's necessary. And that means most of us. You know, you might think, I'm going to do it on my own, but it's not up to you. You know, you might not be able to. You might not have the ability to do it. But the power of having companionship, friendship, good people to help you, to support you on your path is um, immeasurable, inestimable value. Now, what that means, I mean, whether that means you have an entire sangha or not, I don't, I don't think you have to be so sure that that's it's not the same thing exactly and having a teacher is much more important I've talked about this before it's not so much that you have a community it's that you have a teacher that's I mean that seems to be the case there's not nearly as much said about having a sangha as there is said about having a teacher and that's what we always lament I mean if only there were more teachers if if Buddhism is going to survive, it's because there are people who are actually teaching, not people who just want to be teachers or or who like teaching, but people who actually can and do teach from an honest and sincere intention and actually have the ability and have the training. It means that they, they take the time and the effort to to teach. I mean, we need teachers. If you look at, I'm not thinking about, you know, if you look at Buddhist countries, so many Buddhists, people who call themselves Buddhists, but so few teachers, so few monks who actually teach, even lay people who actually are able to teach the Dhamma. I mean, there are people who do teach stuff, but a lot of them um, uh, teach very they've never understood the teachings and it's amazing to the, the the contrast between someone who has understood the teachings and someone who has not if you've never understood the teachings that they it's like reading a book pretty much I mean, it's not even as good as reading a book because they themselves get it all mixed up like me you know <laughs> got it mixed up tonight Sometimes they'll just go on talking about themselves, that kind of thing. Okay, so here we have another question.
This isn't a question, this is an essay. What's the question, wait, I have tried Well, for starters, have you read my book on how to meditate? Yes, you're doing sitting, walking. Walking first is better. Okay, so the question is about having difficulty in concentration. You had experience X, and after that it was difficult to concentrate. Common, um, but it's common. See, the initial state of mind for a meditator is generally misguided, and maybe not even consciously misguided, but misdirected, because you're doing something you've never done before. And so you approach it with preconceptions about how it should be and what it should be. Uh, even though you hear or you read a description of how it should be, you interpret that in your own way and you approach it in your own way. And so as a result, it, in the beginning, it comes out not as it should, but it comes out how you think it should, or, or, or not even that, but it comes out... Um, crooked, you know, based on your state of, of understanding, which is usually, which is generally, you know, unless, unless you're enlightened, it's wrong. So having these experiences are generally a ca caused by the way that you were practicing. So you're able to do quite a bit, half an hour walking, half an hour sitting, it sounds like, or maybe even, I don't know if it was an hour of walking, an hour of sitting, but probably half an hour each which is good, but you're going to, generally you'll come, you'll, come, you'll come up to this wall where doing it wrong no longer works, and, and most likely you were doing it wrong. Most likely your practice was flawed because your understanding, your approach was, I mean, honestly, based with, with, by no, no fault of yourself, with honest intentions, um, but misguided, mis, misdirected because you didn't, you weren't good at it yet, like a novice at anything. The novice tries their best to swing the golf club or hit the, rat, the bat or hit the ball, but um, they're not they're not capable yet. And so, with meditation, you build and build up and build up and build up, and you come to these experiences. I mean, I, I, I it's hard to say exactly what's going on with you, but that this generally happens where you build up these experiences, build up to this experience. And then after that experience, it's like overload, where, where it got to the point where you could no longer maintain this wrong state of concentration, the state of concentration that was just not sustainable. Yeah? And so you get past that, and there's a subconscious or sort of quasi-conscious realization of that. And so your mind is not able to go back to that. Because when you try to go back to the old way, you know that that didn't help you. That wasn't the way you, you just not even consciously thinking about it. But your mind doesn't go back there, so everything changes. And so this this leads to this common question, uh, or this common problem, 
of not being able to get back to where you used to be in meditation, thinking that you were doing so well and then suddenly you couldn't do it anymore. Because there is no such thing as uh, a, a state that you can't be mindful of. As long as you are not um, incapable of mindfulness in the first place, which some beings are, even some humans apparently are incapable of cultivation, born without uh, proper mental faculties. I'm not clear on exactly what that is, but for the most part, anyone who has the ability to be mindful um, can do it any time, in any state. It has nothing to do directly with concentration. It's momentary. It's now. Right now, do you know that you're sitting? That's meditation. It's not the state of concentration. It's not the state of of focus, of single-pointedness. That is called samatha, it's tranquility. It's a specific type of meditative focus that uh, was around before the Buddha was born and it'll be here after the Dhamma has disappeared. It's fine, it's actually okay. And we have done properly, it can be useful. But no matter how it's done properly or not, it doesn't lead to the goal. It doesn't free you from suffering. So how would you proceed? Stop thinking about it. Stop worrying about how it used to be. It's very common to think like that. I'm not able to meditate anymore. Your your whole concept of meditation is wrong if you say that. If, if you ever come to the point where you say, I can't meditate anymore. Either you have destroyed your, your, your mind to the point where you're so evil that you're no longer able to be mindful, which I don't think, you know, not, not likely. Um, or you have a misunderstanding of what meditation is, is right now. You can know that you're sitting. You know, I'm talking to you, even talking, I can know that I'm talking, feeling my lips move, noting even that, as I, even as I talk. Even then, you can be mindful on the toilet. You can be mindful when people are yelling at you. You can be mindful running a marathon. You could be mindful boxing. <laughs> don't know about mindful boxing. As long as your mind is clear, you see, anything you do, I think if you're mindful boxing, you just get hit a lot. Probably wouldn't do much, much boxing of your own. Does killing in video games cause bad karma since you have the intention to kill? Do you really have the intention to kill? You know that there's nothing there to die. Video games are kind of like puzzles, right? You know that this piece has to go here, you know, to unlock this or to, you know, in, to, to solve the puzzle. You have to put this piece here. You try putting different pieces and Video games are, are, are advanced puzzles where you have to do a sequence of things. You have to set up, you have to... You know, but you're clear that you're not hurting anyone by doing this. You're clear that no sentient being is being harmed. No matter how many bad guys die on the, on the screen, you're clear that that is just a puzzle. You're clear in your mind, unless you think, boy, I wish these were real people. <laughs> Or you think about, man, this is what I want to do to my parents or something like that. 
or my friends, I want to, you know, maybe it's not worth laughing about because this actually happens. But um, as long as it's not, and that's totally different and pretty clear that, I, mean, I suppose most people fall in somewhere in the middle where, you know, a lot of kids are, you know, do have these violent tendencies and video games can push and promote those in in those people i mean it's killing people on the screen obviously is not a not a um it's not a good thing it's not likely to make you more peaceful although i don't particularly think it's going to make you I don't think it's necessarily going to make you more violent. I think where the violence would come from video games is through the frustration. I mean, I used to play when, when I was young. I used to play video games. We didn't have whatever they have now. We certainly didn't have Minecraft. Although Minecraft, see, take Minecraft where there's no killing. Or is there? Uh, or Minecraft, you just build stuff, right? Um, so, but still... I imagine it can be terribly frustrating, you know, when you can't get something right or whatever. And uh, so the violence comes, but but not just from the frustration, but from the attachment to it, the addiction to um, the pleasure of it, which leads to just as pus and blood go together, right? That wonderful quote from Sunday, from yesterday. Um, anger and greed, they come together. So the more you like something, the more you enjoy playing the video game, the more easily angered you are. But I mean, I don't know. If someone has these tendencies to want to hurt other living beings, I can see how video, violent video games would reinforce and, and encourage them. There's no question there. I just don't think for... I don't think for most people that's... Um, I don't know. I mean, if there is any encouragement there, it's not it's not very major. But but you know, the, the whole thing about karma is killing isn't bad karma. It's not the killing that's the bad karma. It's the mind state. If you if you have this, the mind state involved with actually killing a living being is so intense and transformative in a bad way. Um, it's, it's without comparison. So. Killing beings on the screen, it really depends on your mind state. If you're, as I said, you know, if you have the idea like, like, you know how people, when they want to hit someone, they instead go and hit a wall or something like that. Well, it's also problematic because they're wishing that they could hit the person. They're pretending. You know. But most of us just pretend it's a game, you know. It's like playing tag. This is what my, my stepmother was talking about this some long time ago. When her, when when my half sister, my sister was growing up, we were talking about guns. Kids who have guns and play cops and robbers. We we used to do that. You see, when I was when I was your age, when I was when I was of that age, we had real toy guns. See, and we didn't have video games, and uh, we'd run around the house, bang, bang, bang. And she said, "Well, that's like playing tag." Or not even tag. She said, the, the, the psychologists say that it's like uh, acknowledging each other. When you shoot someone with a gun, with a play gun, it's not that you want them dead. It's like a tag or a acknowledgement. I see you. I, I, you know, it's a connection you make. 
So there's pointing out that it could actually be, be positive. Shooting each other with guns could actually be a po <laughs> positive thing. Being a hero in a video game. Well, I think a bigger problem there is the nature of a video game hero. You know, are you a hero because you go around killing all the bad guys? Not according to Buddhism. Well, you killed a whole bunch of evil people. That's not, that doesn't a hero make, doesn't a Buddhist hero make. If you had a video game where your object was to get as many people to come and meditate, could you have a dharmic video game? I don't know. I think social, if you look at use of electronic, I think the social social networks, there's an argument to be made there for their potential benefit. I mean, they make us, I think they make us love each other more and be kind to each other more. I don't know. There's The internet can be an evil, evil place, but I think for the most part, Facebook, for example, makes us kinder to each other. I don't know if that's true. Maybe I'm, Maybe it's not. makes us more self-centered. <laughs> Look what I ate. But self-centered isn't necessarily wrong either. Can you explain in some future video or audio how to practice protective meditations? Qualities of the Buddha and parts of the body. Well, we're studying them now. We're going to be studying them fairly soon in in uh, our Visuddhimagga class. So you can join us on Sundays. We have an online audio course where we sit around and read the Visuddhimagga. And we're going through them in detail, but um, not exactly as protective meditation. So yeah, I guess I could. We'll see. You know, I mean, I have things on my plate right now, but it's a good idea. What do you think of guided meditations? Guided meditation as an occasion. Well, Satipatthana can be guided. Depends what kind of guided meditation you mean. If you mean guided Satipatthana meditation, then yes. If you mean guided you know, visualization meditation, then not so much. But, you know, whatever meditation is good, any kind of meditation done for just a moment is an awesome thing. I don't know anything about Prajna Paramita except that Panya Paramita means the perfection of, of wisdom. So, but you're thinking of a specific Mahayana text that I have no comment on. Will you be accepting new meditators all throughout the school year while you're taking classes? Yeah, I'm not taking a full class load, course load. So, yeah, for sure. Um, it might it might be a little bit strained. I might not have as much time to. Um, to work with the meditators, but I don't do much anyway. I mean, if you come here and do a course, you do your course. I don't guide you through it. You see, I meet with you once a day, and I say, today, do this, and then you have a whole day to do that. So I don't, this doesn't require much on my part, and it shouldn't. You know, I'm there to keep you on track, not to lead you through it. So, So yeah, absolutely. 
and uh, in in January, if all goes as planned, fingers crossed, we're going to uh, get a place near McMaster University to have you know a dedicated center where people can come and do courses, and um, then hopefully there will be daily meetings, so people will come from the university daily to uh, listen to the Dhamma. That's the hope. We'll have a house. going to try to rent a house first. So this there's an organization that's doing that. And if you want to help, we're going to start a... We're starting a... Uh, well, Robin... Robin can tell you all about that. But uh, we're going to be starting on Sunday a um, help drive to get people to support the, the project of starting a urban meditation center near the university. Okay, so I think that's it for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. We've got 40, we just had 42 viewers on YouTube. Hello everyone. If you're wondering, uh, meditation.sirimangalo.org is where you want to be if you want to ask questions. I think we've got a record number of people logged in there, and that's where they're asking questions. I'm not taking questions on YouTube. This is just an additional thing, but it'll be recorded, so this video will also be now in the list of videos on YouTube. But if you want to join us live and join the conversation, go over to meditation.sirimangalo.org. And after I stop recording, I'll put the link in the description of this video. So if you're watching this later, you can click on it there. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a good night. Peace. Be well.